So we spent the last month looking together at this grand redemptive story of the Bible. And as followers of Jesus, who is the hero of this story, we are invited into this great drama. And invited, in fact, to continue the story of God. And really, this is what the church gathers to do each Sunday. We gather to be caught up into the story, to remind ourselves of who we are, of our identity, of our belonging, and our purpose, that these are with God, and to continually recalibrate ourselves to this beautiful story. I've been sharing this quote from N.T. Wright because I think it's so helpful in reminding us of what Scripture is meant to do in us. He says here, Scripture, the Old and the New Testaments, is the story of creation and new creation. And within it, it is the story of covenant and new covenant. And when we read Scripture as Christians, we read it precisely as people of the new covenant and of the new creation. We do not read it, in other words, as a flat, uniform list of regulations or doctrines. We read it as a narrative in which we ourselves are now called to take part. We read it to discover the story so far and also how it's supposed to end. To put it another way, we live somewhere between the end of Acts and the closing scene of Revelation. So if we want to understand scripture and to find it doing its work in us and through us, we must learn to read and understand it in light of that overall story. And that's really what we've been spending the last Sundays doing, just trying to get caught up in this story of God. We've traced this incredible theme of God as the king over all creation, as the creation of the earth being God's dwelling place where he lives with humans, and this picture of humanity being created in his image to partner with God in spreading his kingdom to the ends of the earth. We looked in Genesis 3 how that story went off the rails through human rebellion and has taken humanity in this downward spiral, losing our authority, our identity, our belonging, and purpose. But we saw how the story of the Bible is about how God is bringing this human project back on track through Jesus. We saw how God pursues humans, and he begins through the family of Abraham and Sarah, and then it carries on to Moses, and through the Exodus to the judges, and to David, and to the prophets, and we see God's unfailing love to humanity culminate in the person of Jesus of Nazareth. It is God himself who has come in the person of Jesus to give his very life in order to reclaim humans as his own and to bring us back into our true identity, our true belonging and true purpose under Jesus, the good king over the kingdom of God. And so we've seen how really Jesus has brought the story back to where it all began. God as good and all-powerful king over creation. Remember Jesus at the end of the gospels, he says, all authority and power in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Jesus is the unrivaled king over everything and everyone. We see how the creation once again is a place where God is in the midst of his people. God is with us. Jesus says this, surely I am with you always, even to the very end of time. And lastly, we see this partnership that humans are created for brought back on track. Jesus says, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. God's human partners are now sent out to spread the kingdom of God to the ends of the earth. And we see how the work of redemption that Jesus accomplished is the reboot of Genesis chapter one and chapter two. Our identity, our belonging, and our purpose are restored through Jesus Christ. 
Humans have been brought back into the plan and purposes of God. We are being remade in his image. You know, when we understand the Bible with this grand narrative, these phrases that the apostles will make, like if any person is in Jesus Christ, they are a new creature or a new creation. All of a sudden you're like, oh, that, I understand now. It's the reboot. We're being brought back into the plan of God. Through Jesus Christ, God is declared to both heaven and earth as the unrivaled king over everyone and everything in them. His kingdom is being spread to the ends of the earth through his human covenant partners. He is with us in our midst until he comes again to rule and reign life without end. Now, understanding the grand narrative of scripture is so important because when we see the Bible from this perspective and through this lens, we'll realize that this is something more than religious literature. It's something more than a private experience that is just for you or for you, but no, this is something that is for all humans, right? This is human history that the Bible is recording. It's human cosmogony, it's anthropology. We're talking about what humans are for, what humans are, where humans belong, where we have our true identity. What I mean is this, to know Jesus and follow him is not a religious thing, it is actually a whole human being thing. And to miss Jesus is in fact to miss out on what it means to be truly human as we were meant to be. And this is how we should understand the significance and vital importance of the story of the Bible and the good news of Jesus Christ. Now, as we come to this you know, end of our series and kind of the end of the story, we're actually in the final chapter. And I think the question for us now, knowing that this is the true story of God and of the world and of humanity, is how do you and I live into that story? How do we join it? How do we take it up ourselves and move that story forward? And so that's what we wanna consider this morning together, the final chapter, how we continue the story of God. So if you would, stand with me. We're gonna read from scripture, from Acts chapter one, verses three through eight. Luke writes for us, after his suffering, Jesus presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them, the disciples, over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. Now on one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. The Spirit of God, we ask now that you would open our hearts and our minds and our imaginations, Lord, that we might see how our lives are to be caught up and continue this incredible story of your redemption. We pray this in the name of Jesus, amen. Now, not many days after this, you might know, the life-giving Spirit of God that Jesus spoke of, that Spirit of God that was there at creation, that Spirit of God that was breathed into Adam and gave him life, that same Holy Spirit who anointed Jesus for his ministry and work of redemption that he accomplished came upon all those who believed and trusted in Jesus as Lord and King. And that day, the new creation people was born. The church was born. Now Luke records that when Jesus taught his disciples about the implications of his 
work, he focused on two things. Did you catch this? He taught them about the kingdom of God and the spirit of God. Now, John Stott, who was a pastor and theologian, he writes in his commentary on the book of Acts how these two might be connected. Listen to this. He says, it appears that Jesus' two main topics between his resurrection and ascension were the kingdom of God and the spirit of God. It seems probable that he related them to one another, just like the Old Testament prophets do. When God establishes the kingdom of the Messiah, they said, he will pour out his spirit. And this generous effusion and universal enjoyment of the spirit will be one of the major signs and blessing of Jesus' rule of God's kingdom. And indeed, the spirit of God, listen, will make the rule of God a living and present reality to his people. The Spirit of God will make the kingdom of God a living and present reality to his people. So the Spirit of God comes upon the people of God and enables them to live out the active reign of Jesus and his kingdom. You know, this is where it's really helpful to step back and consider kind of the main thrust of Luke's work. Most of us might know that Luke wrote two volumes, the Gospel according to Luke and also the Acts of the Apostles. This is really part one and part two of the work of Jesus. And the main theme that Luke takes up is the good news. Now, Interestingly, the good news, this term had huge significance in the first century, in the days of Jesus, the days of the early church, because Caesar Augustus actually claimed that his kingdom was uh, a kingdom that brought good news to everyone. It was the gospel. You know, Caesar Augustus claimed to be a son of God whose kingdom brought peace to every nation and the empire through the Pax Romana. How many of you guys remember your you know, world history, right? This is what was happening in the Roman Empire at the time. And so Luke introduces us to a different good news. It's a deeper, richer, more profound good news that goes back 700 years. Listen to this. He writes from, or excuse me, we look at Isaiah the prophet. In Isaiah 52, the prophet writes, how beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring the gospel, who proclaim peace, who bring good tidings, who proclaim salvation, who say to Zion, your God reigns. Or another way to say that is what? God is king. Listen. Your watchmen lift up their voices. Together they shout for joy. When the Lord returns to Zion, they will see it with their own eyes. Burst into songs of joy together, you ruins of Jerusalem, for the Lord has comforted his people. He has redeemed Jerusalem. And this last bit is so important. The Lord will bear his holy arm in the sight of all nations, and all the ends of the earth will see the salvation of our God. Do you hear it? The good news is that God is king again over Jerusalem, but not just Jerusalem. No, his reign will go, his salvation will go to the ends of the earth. The nations will experience the salvation of God. See, the main thrust of Luke's work is to show how the good news of Isaiah 52, that God is king, has been fulfilled through Jesus Christ. And now that kingdom is spreading to the ends of the earth for all people to know and to receive. Now in the book of Acts, we see the spreading of God's kingdom taken by the early church. And it's interesting to note that the continual message of the early Christians is Jesus is Lord. That's the good news that they are proclaiming. Jesus is Lord and King as opposed to Caesar. Now, 
Church, their message was so much more than personal sins forgiven and going to heaven when you die. In fact, this is one of the reasons we have such a deeply compromised church in the U.S. Because when you allow the message of the good news that God is king to be relegated to just personal sins being forgiven alone, and your hope is that Jesus will whisk you away to heaven so you can avoid all the difficulties of life rather than Jesus is king over all. You know what happens? Politics, patriotism, pleasure, money, power, family, sex, and whatever else will take the place of allegiance that belongs to Jesus alone. Now understand, when we say God is king, this includes the forgiveness of sin because God is bringing redemption. He's bringing his cleansing spirit. But not only that, he's bringing outsiders and making them insiders. He's bringing the nations into his family. Not only that, but he's toppling the powers of darkness. The evil that has ruled this world since Adam and Eve gave over their authority to the serpent, he is toppling those powers, destroying them, and he's bringing captives into his kingdom of righteousness. See, when we've got this heading of the good news as God God is king, it includes all of these, forgiveness of sins, outsiders becoming insiders, the powers of darkness being defeated. We have all of this included. And now we can see as God is king, why our allegiance belongs to him alone. And that in and through him we have our true identity. We are his people, his image bearers. We have true belonging. God is our home, our perfect place of peace. And with him, our true purpose lies, to live in his kingdom and to spread his kingdom to the ends of the earth. See, the good news is about the active and present reign of God and the restoration of all things through the life, death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus Christ. And whether it is preached by Peter on the day of Pentecost, Paul to the philosophers on Mars Hill, or everyday Christians who gossip the good news, the message was this, Jesus is the true ruler of the world. His kingdom has come and is coming, and here's the best part, anyone and everyone is invited to join. This is the message that the early church spread. Now, just a side note here, one of the coolest things about the early church um, recorded in the book of Acts is that everyone who is a Christian spreads this message. It doesn't matter who they are, what their credentials might be. You have waiters like Stephen and Philip. You have a merchant for the fashion industry like Lydia. You have tent makers like Priscilla and Aquila. You have philosophers like Apollos. You have a jailer from Philippi, and they all spread this message about the rule of King Jesus and the availability for any and everyone to join his kingdom. Now, the book of Acts chronicles how this proclamation of God's rule spreads to the ends of the earth. It follows this you know, kind of outline that Jesus sets for it. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, then spreading to Judea, then Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Have you ever noticed how the book of Acts ends where? Where does the book of Acts end? Rome, good job, it ends in Rome, that's right, gold star. Yes, it ends in Rome, and what we see there is that the good news is being proclaimed under the nose of the emperor there in Rome, the seat of the empire, the epicenter of the world and of culture at the time. And listen to the closing words here in the book of Acts. It says, he, Paul the apostle, lived there in Rome two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ, King Jesus, with all boldness and without hindrance. So here's the idea. The word of the gospel, 
that God's kingdom is here, that Jesus is the king, is going forward with all boldness and without hindrance right under the nose of Caesar. And it's toppling his kingdom. It's subverting his authority and power. And here's basically the big thrust of the very end of the book of Acts. Nothing can stop the advancement of the kingdom of God. It goes forward with all boldness, without any hindrance. The commission of Jesus to his people was to take this message of Jesus' kingdom reign to the ends of the earth until he returns. Now, Leslie Newbegin, who was a missiologist and a pastor in India, he's English, moved to India, pastored there. He tells us how the church joins the story of God. He says this, the church is the pilgrim people of God. It's on the move, hastening to the ends of the earth to invite all people to be reconciled to God and hastening to the end of time to meet its Lord who will gather all into one. It cannot be understood rightly except in a perspective which is at once missionary and eschatological. You know what he's saying really? Is we have a mission and there is a clock that's running down. That's what he's saying. It's the final chapters and we have an incredible message of God's reign that needs to get out to the nations. The implication is this. We have got to get this message to all people, near and far. And the closing chapter of Acts is open-ended on purpose. You know, it doesn't close with the end. You know, Paul was probably already beheaded at this time, maybe, possibly, but it doesn't end with the death of Paul. It ends with the gospel going forward. And I believe it is open-ended on purpose, implying that it is now our turn, the reader, the listener, to take up the mission of Jesus, to take up the kingdom proclamation and to get this message to all people from our local neighborhoods to the ends of the earth. This wasn't just the call of the early church, but to God's people in every age to spread the good news of God's kingdom reign, to tell everyone that God is king over all through Jesus Christ. Now, I don't know if you feel this way, but sometimes it feels to me, I'm guilty of this myself, that I'm waiting for God to do something else, something more. But as I said a moment ago, this is really the final chapter that we are living in. The early disciples of Jesus saw what God did and in and through Jesus as the climax of the story of God and of the world. What had been foretold, the defeat of sin and evil and death by God had happened at the cross. The resurrection of the righteous from the dead had taken place in the body of Jesus. The ascension of a human being to the right hand of God to rule over the nations had happened in the ascension of Jesus Christ. The pouring out of God's life-giving spirit on humans had happened at the day of Pentecost. God's home being with humans once again happened at Pentecost. The gathering together of the people of God in one family through the church, the breaking in of the rule of God's kingdom, all of this had taken place. The story is in its final chapter. And as we read the story, what should hit us is, what are we waiting for? We are not waiting for God to do another Pentecost. We are not waiting for another, you know, justification at the cross. We're not waiting for any of that. The story is in its final chapter. Go and tell everyone about the good news of the reign of King Jesus. And invite them to join the community of God's people. Live this life of the kingdom of the heavens in every nook and cranny and every facet of human existence in the world today. This is really the invitation to the story of God 
Now, I'm not saying that I don't think that there is more to come. God has worked throughout history. He's broken in and he has brought revival to his people. He's brought hundreds of thousands of millions of people into his family throughout history. There have been incredible works that God has done. But what I am saying is I think we have come to minimize what God has already done and accomplish in and through Jesus Christ. Again, the story of God is in its final chapter. Keith Giles said this, and I think he is so correct. He says, inaccurate eschatology causes believers to wait for a king who already reigns. To wait for a kingdom they're already in to wait to become who they already are, to wait for power that they already have, to wait for an age that has already come, and finally, to wait to do what they should already be doing. Can you identify with this statement? I know I can. Sometimes I am telling, okay, yeah, what am I waiting for? Am I waiting for the king? No, he already reigns. Am I waiting for the kingdom? I have the opportunity to live in it now. Am I waiting to become who I already am? I'm a new creation. Get on with it. Start living like it. Am I waiting for power from the Holy Spirit? Oh, that happened at Pentecost. It's available now. Am I waiting for an age that has already come? It happened there when Jesus stepped from the tomb. The new age has been inaugurated through Jesus Christ. And once again, we are in its final chapters. Church, what are we waiting for? Get the message out to the ends of the earth. Now, how are we as a local church continuing the story of God? We're going to spend the whole month of January talking about how we as a local church are responding to this beautiful story of God. But just quickly, I want to say just three things that are essential in how we are caught up into God's story. These are three essential elements of joining the story of God. And the first one is, it comes from our mission statement. So let me just back up for a second and say this. You guys hear us say this, we desire to be a Jesus-formed community on mission. How many of you have heard us say that? Okay. Okay, we mean this. This is why we repeat it all the time. This is what we are about here at Calvary Chapel Costa Mesa. To be formed in the ways, works, and words of Jesus, to live out an identity as God's kingdom people together, and then to make known God's kingdom in our local neighborhoods to the ends of the earth. Formation, community, and mission. And this story of God has radically informed, like, This is how I see the world. This is how I believe God is calling us to see the world. And these are three essential elements for us in joining ourselves to this grand story, formation, community, and mission. So let's talk about those uh, as we wrap things up this morning. And I say wrap things up. I still have 16 minutes, so slow down, right? So our task as the people of God is this formation. It's learning to live under the reign of God. King Jesus. We enlist in Jesus' school of discipleship and learn his way of being, his kingdom way of living. This radically transforms our character to love and live like Jesus did. Now, why formation? Because the truth is every one of us are pre-programmed to live out the reign of our father and mother, Adam and Eve. And under that domain, it has left us confused about our identity, lost and longing for belonging and home and aimless as to the purpose of being. 
Now we receive identity, belonging, and purpose in and through Jesus, and now the task is learning to live like sons and daughters. Learning to be the image of God. It's learning to live as dearly loved, valued, and welcomed children of God whose purpose is to learn God's wisdom, God's righteousness, God's justice, and God's love so that one day we can rule over the new creation with Jesus. Remember the story. Human beings are created to rule. That's what Genesis 1 and 2 teaches us. And in and through Jesus Christ, we are brought back on track to that apprenticeship under God, to learn his wisdom, to learn his love, to learn his righteousness and justice, because guess what? You and I are in an apprenticeship right now that will go on into the new age. We will rule and reign with Christ. And scripture says this again and again and again. Daniel says that we will share in the glory of God. We will shine like the stars forever and ever. Jesus, in the book of Revelation, says to the church, come and sit with me as my father also invited me to sit on his throne and rule the nations as I rule the nations. Church, how are we doing in that apprenticeship? Are we taking it seriously? Do we realize that this is really the main thrust of our lives, to learn this Righteous rule under King Jesus so that we can rule and reign in the kingdom of God with him. This is why formation is absolutely essential for the disciple of Jesus and absolutely essential to joining the story of God. Now, secondly, joining the story of God involves the community of God's people, living together as the people of God living out the kingdom of God together. The church is God's world-changing social experiment of bringing different people together at the same table to share life with one another as a new kind of family and a new kind of humanity. You know, everybody has like hangups with Paul the Apostle. This is literally what Paul did. He went to all these different cities and regions and he gathered people from all over the world, different backgrounds and cultures and you know, beliefs. He gathered them around one table to live like a family under King Jesus. That's what he was all about. Christian community is where you and I practice the reign of Jesus together. I love the way that Eugene Peterson defines the church. He says this, the Holy Spirit formed the church to be a colony of heaven in the country of death. The church is a, the core element in the strategy of the Holy Spirit for providing human witness and physical presence to the Jesus inaugurated kingdom of God in this world. You know what he's saying? The church is where Jesus is currently reigning on earth. So the way that we live together and interact with one another should be a reflection of God's kingdom. He says it's not the kingdom complete, but it is a witness, a sign, a testimony to that kingdom. Church is an appointed gathering of named people in particular places who practice a life of resurrection in a world in which death gets the biggest headlines. Whoa, a people of hope in a country of death. The practice of resurrection is an intentional, deliberate decision to believe and participate in resurrection life. Life out of death, life that trumps death, life that is the last word, Jesus' life. That's what Christian community is really about. And we can look at the early church as an example of this. See, Jesus is Lord. The good news wasn't something that they just subscribed to intellectually, it was a way of being for them. It was something that they practiced in their daily lives with one another. Their lives were marked 
by the life of Jesus. And so they, bear, they bore one another's burdens because this is what Jesus did for them. They made sure that no one lacked anything. No one considered anything their own, but they shared it freely as there was need. You guys, all of these are implications of the kingdom of God because in the kingdom of God there will be no lack, there will be no want, there will be no hierarchy in the way that these things work today, but there will be abundance. And so the way the early church lived their life was as if Jesus was ruling and reigning over them because he was. So they lived like it. That's what Christian community is really about living as though Jesus was already ruling and reigning over us because he is. We are called to practice community under the reign of Jesus. And finally, joining the mission, or excuse me, joining the story of God means that we will join in the mission of God. The mission of God, what is this? I think one simple and helpful way is to look at Jesus' own life and when he would touch people's life, when he would bring healing, help, comfort to them, restore their identity, their belonging, their value, whatever it was, you know, Jesus would often say, the kingdom of God has come near to you. And so for us, as we take up the mission this proclamation that Jesus is king, what we're doing is we're just alerting people to the presence of Jesus and his reign in the kingdom of God. That's what mission really is. And the church is God's main means of doing this, of spreading his kingdom rule throughout the world. Now, the issue is, truly, that many who call themselves Christians are simply not engaged with the kingdom mission of Jesus or concerned with the story of God at all. Instead, we just live as though our lives are our own, right? And whatever Jesus has done, it's just kind of for our own benefit and own comfort, so we can just kind of carry on with what we've always done and prioritize what we've always prioritized. And in many ways, we act as though this story never happened. We are equally as confused about our identity belonging and purpose in this world as those who do not know God. And even though we may know the right truths, we desire the wrong things. Now, missiologist Michael Goheen, he says that the church of the West often fails to live up to its high calling because it is hamstrung by a low spiritual state of the church. There's a lukewarm love for Jesus Christ. We don't see Jesus for who he is. We don't appreciate him for what he's done. And I'm not saying this as like a browbeating, I'm just honest. We're distracted. We're caught up by other stories. We're, you know, influenced by other heroes and people that we think are significant and important whether than, rather than the world-changing champion, Jesus Christ. He says there's a sickly worldliness. We're honestly not that different from those who do not know God. And finally, a lack of vital prayer. He says the reason for this is self-satisfaction that comes from comfort. We're comfortable. There's no need. Why inconvenience ourselves? Why upset our lives? Why upset the lives of others around us? He says there's compromise with capitalism and an accommodation to the consumeristic spirit of our age. We're basically just living like everyone else around us. And as I said a moment ago, I think the church has been enthralled by other stories. Stories of power, stories of influence, stories of popularity. It's time that we return to our true story. That we take up once again the story of God, remembering 
our narrative that we've been following, that humans are created by God for fellowship with him, that we're made for his presence and for his love, that our identity, that our belonging and purpose are only ultimately found in God. We're created to live under his rule and to co-labor with him to build his kingdom and spread it to the ends of the earth. And in this state, the world was good. Humanity lived openly and without shame or guilt. This is true flourishing and how life works best. And we know that because of sin, we were separated from God. Humans' lives are in disarray. The world is chaotic and dark and filled with so much confusion and meaninglessness. And this is the state of humanity and the world we live in. Loss of true identity, spiritual homelessness, and meaninglessness. And you and I know the truth about what has happened. The truth about what God has done to bring us back into our true identity, our true belonging and purpose. We have this incredible privilege to show, to alert in word and in deed the good news of God's rescue and redemption to those who are lost. His love to those who feel that they don't belong anywhere. And infinite meaning and purpose to those under the weight of our culture's meaningless and hopeless narrative. I love this quote from Leslie Newbegin and I think about it all the time. He says this, the logic of mission, telling others this story of God is this, the true meaning of the human story has been revealed. Because it's the truth, it has to be shared universally. It cannot be a private opinion. And when we share it with all people, we give them the opportunity to know the truth about themselves. To know who they are because they can know the true story of which their lives are a part. That's what we get to do. You know, I often talk about being a pastor as being like a spiritual optometrist. And this has just been a helpful way for me to think about what God has called me to do. It's like, you know, when you go to the optometrist, well, some of you know, right? Others of you, blessed, um, don't have to go. Um, you know, you go to the optometrist and they're throwing all these lenses on. It's like, can, is it better now? How about now? How about now? They flip them. How about now? You know, and you're just honing in, just clearing up that vision to see the world clearly. Guys, this is what it means to alert people to the kingdom of God, to the reality of the reign and rule of God. And when people step into that, it's refreshing, it's life-giving. Why? Because it correlates with who they are. All people have been created by God and have been created for God. And whenever we try to live outside of that, we experience disillusionment. And disillusionment can create seekers. There is an incredible opportunity before us. The harvest is ready. The laborers are many. Are we ready for the work that God has before us to alert people to the reign of Jesus Christ? This is the question. Now, alerting people to the kingdom reign of God. Let me just say this. It's not about going to church. It's not just about reading your Bible. It's not about prayer or those things. Now, all of those things are included, but it's about just showing God's healing power as wide as the world is, right? The kingdom of God is a healed material universe, therefore doing kingdom work, spreading the reign of Jesus is as vast as the world is wide. You know this line that we sing at Christmas time? No more let sin and sorrow grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow, for as the curse is found. Where do we go to alert people to the kingdom of God? To who do we alert the kingdom of God? Wherever the curse is found. 
Wherever we see the effects of sin, the brokenness of sin, the breakdown of relationships, this is where we bring the message of the reign of King Jesus. Tim Keller wrote this. He says, when we realize that Jesus is going to someday destroy hunger, disease, poverty, injustice, and death itself, it makes Christianity what C.S. Lewis called a fighting religion. Whether we are confronted with a city slum or a cancer ward, the things that are now wrong with the material world, God wants to put right, and one day he will do it completely. So church, wherever we see these effects of the curse of sin, the brokenness and abuse, family breakdown, divorce, loneliness, poverty, injustice, meaninglessness, like Jesus, we move toward the suffering of this world to bring the reign of God to bear upon it. Mission is bringing the reign of Jesus with us everywhere we go. Now, I just want to read this as a way to kind of help us think, what does it look like in our homes, our neighborhoods, to cultivate a kingdom, you know, a kingdom outpost? Let's put it that way, right? Nancy Piercy, in her book, Love Thy Body, she talks about what we have in using that to bring an awareness of the kingdom of God to people's lives. Listen to what she says. She says, as the surrounding society loses its connecting glue, the most important response is to build local, small-scale forms of community, teaching our children and congregations how to reestablish strong, life-giving relationships in a world falling apart. What matters at this stage is the construction of local forms of community within which the civility and the intellectual and moral life can be sustained through the dark ages which are already upon us. Our families and churches must become centers of civilization that reach out beyond themselves with a model form of community. The strongest Christian communities, families, congregation, groups of singles, are those driven by a larger vision, the kingdom of God, and a sense of ministry. So if God has given you a dependable income, a loving spouse, a strong church community, a reliable group of friends, those gifts are not just for you. They are to equip you to reach out and draw in those who are broken and searching. I love this line. God is giving you the opportunity to bring hope that Christianity is real and not just words. To put flesh and bones on the message of hope and healing. Christians must be prepared to minister to the wounded, the refugees of the secular moral revolution whose lives have been wrecked by its false promises of freedom and autonomy. We are at a unique moment in history where we have an incredible opportunity to become safe havens where people witness the beauty of relationships reflecting God's own commitment and faithfulness. I made a comment in our first gathering. How many of you guys saw the movie, The Jesus Revolution? Okay, so some of you have. So it's a story about what happened here at Calvary Chapel Costa Mesa back in the 1970s. A part of the film that gets the story wrong is it has the local congregation and even Chuck, Pastor Chuck Smith at that time, you know, kind of backwards and confused and, you know, against the hippies and reluctant to reach out to them and, and to care for them. The problem is, is that's actually the opposite of what happened. And that's actually the reason why anything happened here is because this local community was living in the way that Nancy Piercy describes. The things that God had given them were not for themselves, but they were to receive a new generation of seekers who were disillusioned by the sexual drug revolution and whose lives were shipwrecked. And the people of God received them with open arms, 
discipled them in the reign of King Jesus. And that's how God was able to do such a powerful work. Church, the fields are white for harvest. The labors are many. Are we ready for the work that God wants to do? With those who are disillusioned with our culture's promises of freedom, of fulfillment, and it has left them wanting, thirsty, are we ready to receive them generously into the family of God and show them what the reign of King Jesus looks like? The story is almost over. What are we waiting for? Now the closing verses of scripture, Revelation 21, I know there's another chapter as well. But listen to this. John writes, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne of God saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them, they will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. And he will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. And he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. This is how our story ends. These words are trustworthy and true. The kingdom of God will come down. God will dwell in the midst of his people. There will be no more death, no more pain. No more crying, for the old order has passed away and the kingdom of God has arrived. Augustine says, all shall be amen and hallelujah. We shall rest and we shall see. We shall see and we shall know. We shall know and we shall love. We shall love and we shall praise. Behold our end, which is no end. It is a new beginning. God reigns as king. His home is with people in a new paradise, and we will rule and reign with him over the earth. This is the great story of God that we are invited to join and take up. And when we do this, we take the story of God forward in our own time, in our generation, and to our amazement, we write with God, as it were, the next chapters in the story of God and the world as we wait for him to return our long-awaited king.